So we're kind of constantly bringing ourselves back into this place where I'm really listening to myself and letting parenting be this beautiful experience of knowing myself deeper and better, which in my mind gives us a a very clear avenue to know exactly who this child is without my projections. Like I want to get to know all children, not just my own, but all children for who they are. I want to come to a place of acceptance and love and appreciation for who they are, not who I expect them to be or need them to be or want them to be. In this next episode, I get to interview Brianna Kabadakanal. She is a licensed marriage and family counselor. She's an infant family and early childhood mental health specialist, as well as a perinatal mental health specialist. She's also a conscious parenting certified coach through Dr. Shafali's Institute. This is a must listen for any parent. In this episode, we get to talk about what conscious parenting is and what it isn't. So much of this episode is about giving yourself permission as a parent to not get it right 100% of the time. There's actually a statistic that she shares about how much wiggle room we actually have in order to still create secure, loving, lasting connection and bonds with our children. There are so many great takeaways and tips from this interview. Uh, Brianna also has an incredible platform that I encourage you all to check out and take advantage of. Enjoy. Welcome, Brianna. I am so excited to have this conversation with you. I have been cyber stalking your Instagram page. You have so many incredible tips for parenting. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk with like-minded people. So thank you. Yes. All right, you guys, you are in for a treat. This is um, Conscious Mommy, Brianna. She has so many incredible resources. And, you know, I've gotten to know, I'm still in the process of learning more and more about conscious parenting. And I wish it's something I would have heard of when our kids are younger. We currently have a 12, a 10, and a six-year-old. And I love what you say on your website. You know, you use that quote where we can give people a fish or we can teach them how to fish. And when I read that recently, I was like, that's exactly how I feel about the things that you're teaching from what I understand. And then we're going to get right into your background and your knowledge and what conscious parenting is from your perspective. It's really, you know, a system of checking in with ourselves first, rather than like following these other systems that people have created or all the books that you can come across in Barnes and Noble on how to parent gentle parenting present parenting. Like to me, it's so simplified. I don't have to think about what to do other than to just check in with myself. And that has changed so many things in my life that then helps serve my family at a higher level. Yes, absolutely. I mean, when we are doing this work where I'm listening to myself, I'm asking myself, is this is my reaction in alignment? Do I feel in alignment right now? Or do I feel out of sync? So if I'm like, how do I get my kid to listen and follow my direction? You can pick up a book and it'll tell you, do these steps and then your kid will listen and follow directions. And that works for a very small percentage of parents. For the vast majority of us, There are so many unique factors that go into the dynamic that we have with our children. And what I teach in conscious parenting is self-awareness first, understanding what is going on for you and wondering, like in that example, gosh, 
why do I feel like I need my kid to listen and follow my direction right now in this moment? Is it because of their safety? Is it because, you know, we've, I've already done some negotiation and it is time to move forward? Or am I having a power trip? Is this about me not wanting to deal with my child's emotions and just wanting to squash it and be done with it and not have time for whatever is going on beneath the surface for my child. And if I'm doing that, what is that about for me? So we're kind of constantly bringing ourselves back into this place where I'm really listening to myself and letting parenting be this beautiful experience of knowing myself deeper and better, which in my mind, gives us a, a very clear avenue to know exactly who this child is without my projections. Like, I want to get to know all children, not just my own, but all children for who they are. I want to come to a place of acceptance and love and appreciation for who they are, not who I expect them to be or need them to be or want them to be. And I know when I say that, a lot of people start to think about their own history of like, wow, was I living as a child according to other people's expectations for who I was to be? Am I, do I live according to other people's vision for me? And how constricting, how restrictive does that feel for me as a person? It feels pretty restrictive. So there's also this like element of conscious parenting that is like parenting yourself again. It's very liberating, actually, when you parent in this way. Definitely. You know, I find it so interesting. I think that our parents did so much work to do different and do better than their parents, right? We all, I think that's what we all try to do with our children. When we know more, we, we do better. And I feel like our generation is this time where we're really severing generational, whatever you want to call it, toxicity or trauma or just, we know so much more about um, the importance of connection in our bonding with our children. And just like you said, I think as we're learning about this and we're learning about ourselves, it's like, we realize how many innate feelings and emotions in us were shut off out of protection or how much masking we had to use. And I want to kind of just like zoom out for a minute who, for anyone who's not really familiar with conscious parenting. And first, you know, before we delve deeper, talk about what is conscious parenting and what is it not? Because I know a lot of people, you know, hear some concepts like this and they kind of start to think that conscious parenting might be permissive parenting right. or parenting without boundaries or restrictions um, for our children. So let's right. touch on what it is versus what it isn't. It's the complete opposite of that. This is not a permissive parenting because I'm not letting a child walk all over me because I'm aware of what my personal limits and boundaries are. And I'm I'm teaching my child how to understand my personal limits and boundaries while I'm also being aware of what my child's personal limits and boundaries are. And I'm teaching my child how to express those personal limits and boundaries in a tactful, appropriate way, right? Children don't tend to <laughs> tend to express their boundaries very tactfully, especially in those early years. They're just kind of impulsive and emotional about whatever it is that they want, which isn't a problem because when a child is very little, I appreciate where that child is at developmentally. And that's a big piece here of conscious parenting. There's a deep appreciation for where we are in terms of our lifespan when we're talking about development. When you are a new parent, 
there, you are developmentally in a stage of freshness as a parent. You're very much still figuring out who you are as a parent. And the main work in those early years is just surviving with the kiddo and being very clear about how does this child trigger me? What is this child bringing up in me? What is it that, like, what is mine? Like, what is mine to work on? What cycles am I trying to break? What am I trying to heal inside of me so that I don't subconsciously project and instill those very things that I don't want to perpetuate into my child, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's really what those early years are all about. And then when we're in this stage that you're in, you know, with kids that are, getting ready to flee the flee the nest so to speak you know we're in you're you're in that like tween adolescent stage this is a stage of growing independence and differentiation a child is learning to separate themselves from the family we see this in monkey families primates do this teenage monkeys start to pull away and separate from their mother monkeys and they start to cling to their peers to create their own social group identity this is a very important part very important process and so for us as parents the process that we're going through at that stage is our own differentiation our own letting go our own growth our own evolution if you will mm -hmm. and so conscious parenting is really a framework it's a mindset allowing ourselves to evolve in this process it's not about perfection it's not about being so mary poppins and perfect that you never make a mistake in fact conscious parenting is about accountability holding ourselves accountable for why we are the way we are, and then teaching our children how to be accountable for their own missteps. And we can do that without shame. We can do that without punishment. We can do that without imposed harsh consequences. Those things are possible. But when you are raised in the traditional lens and you live in a more kind of you know, our society still has a more traditional idea of parenting. It feels very countercultural, right? It feels like you're doing something wildly different and we're unsure about what the impact would be. But if you want to go to the research, just look up authoritative, authoritarian, and permissive parenting. Conscious parenting is going to fall under that authoritative bubble where it's empathy, warmth, compassion, firm, high expectations, and a lot of teaching, a ton of teaching. Whereas authoritarian is going to be more harsh, going to be more punishments, high expectations, low warmth is basically the authoritarian, you know, the do as I say, because I said so type of parent. And then the permissive parenting, which is the myth. People think conscious parenting is permissive parenting. It's not. Permissive parenting is high warmth, no boundaries, no expectations. There's little leadership happening in permissive parenting. My goal in teaching conscious parenting and as a conscious parent myself, my goal is to be a really strong, effective leader for my kids and to teach my children the art of self-leadership, how to lead yourself how to be clear about your decision-making process, how to make decisions that serve you without stepping on the needs of other people, 
right? That can coexist, believe it or not. And that's the mindset. That's the philosophy of conscious parenting that we're trying to like expand, expand ourselves into it. Love it. That's such a great explanation. Just to make sure I'm clear. So there's authoritative parenting, there's permissive parenting, and which, where does conscious parenting sit? Authoritative. They should have chose a better word, but yes, authoritative. That's like that Mary Poppins right in the middle type of parenting. Yeah. When I think about all this stuff, it's like in order to actually do these things in the moment with our children, because it's all this is easy peasy when life is going good and everyone's happy. But then there's these moments that are just such reality in all of our worlds, right? So you're making dinner and maybe you got a stressful email or a stressful phone call and you're, you're in your head. You're not living in your heart. You're not in the present moment. You're like in major fear mode. Your two kids start fighting and you're just like, bah! right. And you said something that made me think about like how important self-care is as a parent so that in these moments we can be pre- as present as possible. And I've heard you talk about, you know, what helps with conscious parenting is not so much self-care, but understanding our self-worth. And I think that's such an important concept because that will trickle over all of these crazy moments that we experience as a mama. So many of my clients in my practice and the moms and my groups that I lead really struggle with not feeling like they are enough. And that like lack of enoughness, that lack of worthiness drives so much of our reactivity. And so if I'm overwhelmed and burnt out and I have so much stress on my plate and my children are acting out and then I react to them, what ends up happening usually is this downward spiral of how could I have done that? I'm such a bad mother. What is wrong with me? Right? We go into deep guilt and deep shame over a moment that honestly, I think we could give ourselves some grace for, right? Like one of the things that I really encourage parents to do is like put everything in context. You weren't just like flipping out on your kids to be mean and to be harsh. That wasn't what was driving your behavior. What was driving your behavior was that you were stretched thin and you had a human moment. And when we when we kind of live by this principle that we're not enough and we need to be more and do more, that giving ourselves grace for our missteps feels foreign and unfamiliar. And that is the healing work, right? I'm not excusing your behavior. You're going to have to make it up with your kids. You're going to have to apologize. You're going to have to say, let's just try it again. Let me find another way to say what I need to say. Of course, do your repair, take accountability. But that accountability doesn't have to come from a place of like, look, I'm, I'm effing them up. Look at me. I am such a mess up. I've damaged my children. No, you had a human moment and you're allowed to have human moments. Give yourself grace and compassion. That is probably the best form of self-care that I can possibly call parents into is how do you talk to yourself about yourself? Do you meet yourself gently and with love? And if not, start there. When you start to master that, you see yourself making a mistake and you, you tend to yourself kindly and you hold yourself accountable, but you do it with kindness and love. I promise you over time, 
That is how you're going to instinctually respond to your children when they make a mistake. Instead of focusing on their behavior and making them feel bad for it, you will find yourself going underneath it. What's going on? Clearly something is messing around here. Something's bothering you. I want to know what it is and I want to help you through it so we can find another way to express it, sweetheart. Because what you're doing right now doesn't work. That's not going to work here in our house, Mm -hmm. right? You hear the boundary, you hear the limit, but there's such a care. There's such a protection of the goodness of the child, such a protection of the child's worth. We can't get there unless we really actively work on doing that for ourselves. That's such a key piece in conscious parenting. I feel feel like it diverts away from even just like the general gentle parenting and respectful parenting that really just focuses on what you're doing with the child. My message has a lot more to do with what you're, how you're speaking to the child within your inner child. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And, you know, I think what I'm hearing is it's all about connection. It's about connection with our children. But in order to really fully create that, we have to connect with ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I've heard you talk on your channel about guilt and shame and that a lot of times that actually comes from needing to connect with our inner child. And I would love for you to expand Mm -hmm. more on that because I think that's really, if there's a gold takeaway from this, I think that is such a huge piece of it. I love what Brene Brown says about the difference between guilt and shame. So she says that guilt is, I've done something bad. And shame is, I am bad. Mm. So of course, like if you snap at your kids, you're going to feel guilty for it. That's appropriate guilt, right? That's your ego kind of coming out and letting you know, like, "Mm, let's take a new direction. This really isn't working for you. But when I feed it, when I feed that guilt and I start allowing that guilt to define me as a person, as a mother, when I allow it to define me, I'm now in shame territory. God, I shouldn't have done that. What's wrong with me? I'm such a bad mom. These kids are never going to love me. I'm just doing exactly what my mother did to me. I promised myself I wouldn't do that. Look at me. I'm just, I'm so weak. These are the kinds of things I hear, you know, mothers bring to me in session. These are the things that they automatically think about themselves. It's hurtful. And so when we get trapped in this shame spiral, shame is such an intolerable feeling, Melissa. We don't like shame. Shame is very low on the vibrational, you know, energy scale. It's very low next to despair. We don't like it. Our bodies don't like it. What does our body do when it gets into a shame state? It's like it has to get rid of it. It has to vomit it out, if you will. And who ends up being the receiver of that? Often it's the people we love. Mm -hmm. A lot of the times it's our children. This is the intergenerational transmission of trauma, dysfunctional patterns and behaviors because we can't tolerate the shame. So I project it through my actions, through my words. I make somebody else carry it for me. And that's what we're trying to stop in conscious parenting. It's tough. This isn't easy work. It's not easy to be aware of yourself and to be really holding yourself accountable. It's so much easier to be like, they're the problem. They need to do the changing, right? Not me. Mm -hmm. It's so much easier to do that because it, it like fends responsibility away. 
And yet that's going to perpetuate. We're not going to be very happy. We're not going to find a lot of joy, a lot of peace. We're not going to find a ton of courage in this journey of being a mom. We're going to feel a lot more grounded if we can really just own ourselves and not go into that shame spiral, but really learn how to sit with it, process it, and transform it into compassion, right? Mm -hmm. That's another thing that um, Brene Bound says. She says, you take shame and you douse it with empathy in a petri dish, petri dish, shame cannot survive. Empathy and compassion is the key to dissolving shame. That's so beautiful for ourselves, for sure. I talk to my mamas and listeners a lot about creating this quiet space for ourselves. I think that's one of the most important things we can do as parents, just because we need the brain space. And I feel like that's also where you realize what's coming up in your life, where you can do some of the connection with yourself, with your inner child. You can really tap into what it is that you need in order to fill up. And that being said, I think those things help us in those crazy moments with our, you know, children to take a pause, take a breath. And at the same time, I would love to hear your take on like in that scenario or any other scenario that would be perhaps a trigger for you, because our triggers with our children would probably be very different. What do you do? Like if you start to feel the the tension coming up where you're going to get upset and maybe you would say something that you don't want to say that you would regret. What do you do in that moment to switch, to flip the switch? The very first thing you want to do is meet yourself with compassion. I'm having a hard moment. I feel like I want to flip out right now. I'm sensing it. Name it, right? Dan Siegel, name it to tame it. If you name it, that's going to give you just a little bit of space. That's going to give your nervous system that validation that it needs, that it doesn't, it's not actually in fight or flight right? You're just having a, you're having a tough moment. So you say that to yourself, I'm having a tough moment. And then you're going to ask yourself, what do I need right now? Do I need a break? Do I need to walk away? Do I need to put in some headphones because the noise is too overstimulating? Do I need a breath? When was the last last time that I ate? Do I need to drink something? Do I need help? Do I need to phone a friend? Mm -hmm. What do I need? And you want to get that need met right? Because we're, we're much more likely to be reactive and to expect other people to serve us when our needs are not being properly tended to and cared for. And if you're going into a fight or flight, it's a sign that you need something. Mm-hmm. Try to get your need met. And then take a deep breath, feel your feet on the floor, lower your shoulders off your ears. We do not need to wear handbags as earrings with our shoulders, right? We just take them down, relax. Okay. And then make a new choice. Try something different. So it might be like if you're used to just blowing up on the kids, maybe you speak very firmly to the children. Kids, I need you to knock it off. I need you both to go sit on different chairs right now. I'm not messing around. Just make a little shift right now. Your kids will sense that you're not reactive. You're not being controlling. But they're going to sense that you're being serious in your tone. Maybe you turn the, the stove off and you sit down. Listen, kids, I know you got, I know something's going on here and mommy's feeling a little stressed out. Not your fault, but I am. I got a stressful email. Something's going on inside. I'm going to need you two to work with me. The yelling and the screaming, not working. It's making my body too excited. So here's two quiet activities that the two of you can do while I finish doing dinner. I can put out some Play-Doh or I can put out some coloring. What would you like to do? That would be for young kids. For older kids, I'm going to set the timer. You guys are going to get a chapter book. Go read. I'm going to set a timer for 30 minutes. We're going to have some quiet reading time. Take charge of the situation, 
but be very clear about the why. Yeah, I hear three things going on there. So one is you're very clear and you're in charge. Two, I was going to ask you if you verbalize to your children what you're doing, which I think is beautiful because mm-hmm. I do that with my kids. I think it's really important that they see. It's like I, I kind of talk my feelings out loud. Whew, this is intense. I'm not liking how I feel right now because I feel like it gives them permission to name and tame their stuff as well. Yep. And then three, which I assume is very key, is making sure that they know that your feelings are not their fault. Oh, like absolutely. you guys are me out. You guys are making me upset. You guys, like we've got to flip that into I'm feeling this way. I'm mm-hmm. choosing these emotions. That sense of accountability is important. And this is how I'm interpreting what I'm feeling. And this is how I'm interpreting this moment. And then it gives us license and permission to when a child is not really feeling the vibe of the family. Now we have this family dynamic where like, if somebody's not feeling the vibe, we can speak to that and we can honor it and we can all adjust to meet the needs of each other. That's what being in a family is all about. It's about supporting each other. It's about being there for each other. It's about serving each other, not in an enmeshed way, not in a dysfunctional way, but in a healthy, interdependent, appropriate way. And this is one way that we model that. And then we give our children permission to do the same in the future when they need that. And then we honor that and we we make accommodations. This is so vital for like a healthy, functioning family. Yeah. And for everyone to be their unique selves. Totally. We don't want to squash ourselves, nor do we want our children to feel squashed or make them feel like they they can't because, oh, I don't want to set mom off. God forbid if we set mom off. Right. No, like we're playing, we're having fun. And then mom's like, yo, this this is not working for me. Yeah. Okay, let's, let's shift. And right. we're going to do the same to mom someday because mom's going to be acting all up and we're going to say to her, yo, mom, like this is not working for us. We're going to need you to shift it. And you're going to say, hmm, duly noted. Okay, let sure. me change. Sure. That's really good listening and attunement. And that truly is connection. Families that find a way to establish this in these early years, you see as they get older, I mean, they really, they really do function differently. The the, the teenagers actually care about what their parents have to say. They consult their parents. They trust their parents. They accept their parents' leadership and guidance when they need it. I mean, that's a far cry from the rebels that I feel like I grew up with and as and surrounded by. <laughs> well, thank you for bringing that up because I would love to hear why and how did you get into this? Because it's always fascinating to hear people's story that brings mm-hmm. them to their purpose in their career. It's a long story, so I will just shorten it. I went to school for theater and I found Uh, I started to get into like drama therapy and I just found it so incredible doing this like therapeutic work. And in that experience is where I learned that I had a very dysfunctional family growing up and I didn't know. I just assumed that everybody experienced the type of chaos and violence and just like extreme avoidance and disconnection that I experienced. And so I, you know, started to break that down and make sense of that. I started around the around 18 years old. And then that led me into understanding the wounds and the hurts that I had in my relationship with my mother. And I knew I couldn't fix that. I tried. I I tried so hard to make things better between my mother and myself, but 
it just was too complicated. And that takes two, right? Two people have to be invested and have to be willing to take accountability. And there just wasn't that. And so then I was like, well, you know, I am going to work on a preventative level and I am going to teach mothers starting at the very young age of birth how to be in relationship with their children in a way that honors that child and honors the mother's own history of pain and suffering and abandonment, rejection and loss and worthiness and belonging, whatever the issues may be. And I'm going to help the mother work through that so she can show up for this, chi- for this child in the way that the child needs, not the way that the mother always needed for herself. And that was what led me into infant mental health, early childhood mental health, and eventually perinatal mental health. And I've been doing this work since 2011. So it's been a while. And it has such a massive ability to impact you know, future generations to come, which is just one of the most important things we can do. And, you know, I feel that no matter what our upbringing was, like I would say I had a pretty blessed childhood. I'm very close with my parents, thankfully. You know, whether it's just the different parenting styles that were around then, or whether it's our story that we come here with, like these are just concepts that I think really for any person, um, any mom to do the further work with ourselves is just so eye-opening and can shift so many things in our relationships with our children. Would you agree? Yes, absolutely. I would totally agree with that. Yeah. I've heard about um, a topic on your platform as well, and I would love to explore this a little bit more. I did some digging and there's research on it. It's called reflective functioning. Yeah. And this is a really interesting concept around conscious parenting. What is reflective functioning? So reflective functioning is the awareness of your inner mental state. So what is happening inside for you? What are you thinking? What are you feeling? What are you needing? As well as being aware of the child's inner mental state. What is the child thinking? What are they feeling? And what are they needing? And so Peter Fonagy and his team of researchers coined this term reflective functioning and actually found that the higher a parent's reflective functioning the more securely attached that child is. So we have a very skewed understanding of attachment. If you're going online and reading blogs, that makes you think attachment is the amount of time you spend with the child and not letting the child ever cry, not letting the child ever have a negative experience. Um, You know, home birthing and breastfeeding and baby wearing. Okay, those things are not actually, um, there's no evidence to prove that those things lead to secure attachment. But there is evidence to prove that a parent's ability to understand themselves, like what happened in their past and how their past is influencing the way they're showing up in relationship with this child right now, that there is evidence to support that that leads to a secure attachment. And the reason why is because that parent is not expecting the child to make sense of it. That parent is not projecting their story onto the child. So for example, let's say a parent has a history of feeling rejected. Maybe they were really criticized a lot growing up. They were told like nothing they ever do is good enough. And they just kind of have this wound where they just don't They just feel like maybe people only like them if they act a certain way and are, you know, perfect. Let's say that. 
And now they have this child who pushes them away. They have a child who says, you're not a good mommy. Get away from me, mommy. Well, the parent who is unaware of that is going to react to that child as if that child is the parent who caused that harm to them. Mm. And they're going to react out of anger. And they're going to cause a big rift. It's going to cause a big power struggle between them and the child. A parent who is aware of what happened and the hurts, the rejection hurts that they had from that can sit with that and say, gosh, it really is so painful to hear my child say that about me. Oh gosh, I'm going to just be present to that pain. And I'm going to be curious, what the heck is going on here for this child? You know, I talk to my other friends and I hear them say that their child says the same thing. So perhaps this is developmental. Perhaps, you know, let me assess, are we having stress? Is there stress going on in this house? Is my child trying to communicate to me that they're stressed out about something? It's going to fundamentally shift how I respond to that child simply because I'm aware. This is what the reflective functioning is what allows us to see that there is meaning beneath behavior. Behavior is not the end-all be-all. It's just the signal. Something is wrong. Reflective functioning teaches us how to be curious about what's going on. And then from that, I don't need an expert to tell me what to do. I can actually listen inside of me. I have, it's almost like it strengthens your intuition as a parent. And then I can make a decision that's the best for me and this child in this specific moment. That is teaching a parent to fish, not giving them a fish. And it's so beautiful. And, you know, I don't know if, if I had had this info again, when our babies were babies, if it would have been easier for me, like, I remember people just keep saying, I hate when people say this, by the way, just wait, it gets harder. Just wait, it gets harder. I think that's like the worst thing you could say to a mom, by the way. I mean, I was very connected mom. I read all the attachment parenting books and they were one of the worst things I could have read for myself. Yeah. I'm very much, you know, we've all got to do it our own way. And like for me, breastfeeding, baby wearing, home birth were very important and still are. And that's my story. But then when I took it a step further and I read these books on attachment parenting, And like, one of the things I read was if I go to the bathroom and the door closes, they don't know if I'm coming back. Right. What is that? I need to be able to go to the bathroom with that guilt. Like I'm an empath. I'm just so maternally connected to my babies. Like any woman would be, it was too much. I mean, I felt like my cortisol, I lived in fight or flight. Um, Our first child's birth, we ended up being in the NICU. Like it just, it was just too, too much. And so I love this reflective functioning that that is really the number one thing that we need to create within ourselves and with our children in order to form these secure bonds. And then there was something else that you've said um, that I loved, and it's this good enough principle. And I think for all of us who've had instances of not feeling enough, this good enough principle, and I want to talk about the percentage that we actually have to be in order to form these secure attachments, is such a relief to me as a mama. Yes, me too. Um it's 33%. If 33% of the time you're getting it right, meaning you are attuned and you're responsive and you actually get the need met, 33% of the time is all the child needs in order to feel securely attached to you. It's a, the, the bar is extremely low. Mm-hmm. That means like the majority of the time you're going to put in the effort. You're going to be like trying, but you're going to miss the mark. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to 
you're going to take accountability for that. You're going to apologize and you're going to move forward because you're going to apologize without guilt. You're going to apologize without shame because you're going to just be aware of the fact that like, this is normal. This is the process, right? This is not a job where you have to get a 95% to pass. That's not what's happening in parenting. Children are really built for imperfection and we must be imperfect with our children because that prepares them to live in an imperfect world. There's nothing wrong with imperfection. In fact, I would probably argue that the quest for perfection is far more problematic on long-term outcomes for children's mental health. Adults who come to me who've never saw parents fight, adults who come to me who perceive that their parents never made a mistake, these are some of the most anxious adults that I work with because they, they have no compass for failure. And we have to have a compass for failing and getting back up on the horse and going and moving forward. We have to have a compass for that. And for our children to really develop that compass, we have to be willing to fall off the freaking horse and get back on. It gives us permission as parents. Like you said, get rid of the guilt, get rid of the shame. You know, anyone that follows you, anyone that's listening to my podcast, these are people that probably aim for that 100%. And just anytime we fall short, it's like guilt, shame, future tripping. What am I doing to my kids? Am I messing them up? But role modeling that we're not perfect so that they give their themselves permission to do the same. Role modeling the work that we do. Whew, I didn't do that right. Let me work on that. Let's have this conversation again. I mean, that's so huge. And just the weight off your shoulders as a mom at 33%. We can all do 3% on a bad day. The bar is truly so low. And, you know, I want to just make a comment on the, some of the attachment parenting guidance that, that you read and that you were given. I don't have anything against it. It's just not based in attachment theory. Hmm. And that's the problem that attachment parenting makes you think it is based in attachment psychology and it is not. So like those are harmful messages if you shut the door while you go to the bathroom, it's going to make the child wonder. It's going to perhaps give your child an abandonment complex. Yeah. No, that is a very harmful message for a new parent who is just trying to survive, who is just trying to do their best, who loves their child and also needs to get their own needs met and needs to have some moments of privacy. That's the kind of stuff that I feel like is touted as, well, this is what it means to be a good parent. And I'm trying to like bust those myths. No, that, it, that does not define your enoughness as a parent. Are you aware of yourself? Do you lead with compassion? Do you repair and take accountability for your mistakes when you make them? Do you enjoy the time you spend with your kids? Do you do your best to be present? If you're hitting those boxes, you're good. Yeah. You're good. Like there's there's no there's no problem here. You're doing great. Well, I think too in those moments like that is how we as women lose ourselves in being a mom and that just creates a whole other downward spiral, right? And so to go back and you know, I would love to know in that moment what would conscious parenting recommend you do? Say I've got 18 month old and I'm getting up to go to the bathroom and they're crying and they're upset like what, how can you communicate with that age child? I mean, 
if they're going to cry because you're going to the bathroom, then, then they're going to cry because you're going to the bathroom. It's okay. They can cry. You know, they'll probably follow you into the bathroom. I probably wouldn't be like, no, get out of here. I need to be here by myself because I know developmentally an 18 month old is just curious about the toilet paper and the way the toilet works and what your poop looks like. You know what I mean? Like they're just curious about those things. So I'd probably say, yeah, you want to come and check it out here? How about you have a seat on your potty and I'll sit on mine and we'll both do our business. What do you think about that, honey? So I'm responding to the child's needs. Sure. While also honoring that, like, I'm still going to go to the bathroom. And if I absolutely require privacy for some reason, then I'm going to let the child know that, honey, I absolutely require privacy right now. And I'm going to shut the door. And I know you might be hard, but I'm going to do that. And then I'll be right. I'll be right out. I'll be done. Mm -hmm. Here's something you can do while I'm doing my business. So you could, right? You don't have to hold it in. I think that that was like kind of the message of, of attachment parenting that like child's needs above all else. Yes. Well, that's what I took from it. I don't know if that's what everyone takes from it, but yeah. That's, that's what I take from it as well. And that's why I find it problematic. I don't see how a family can function healthily when it is the child's needs above all else at all times. That's not a family. A family is everybody's needs are taken into account. Everybody's needs are important. And as the parent, I'm constantly a trying to assess like who, who's the hungriest. I have to feed the hungriest first. And like, if you have to go to the bathroom, it's probably you, even if your kid is upset about it, like nature calls, you got to do what you got to do. We're not abandoning the child. So these are important things to like push up against. Like I tell parents all the time, if you hear something and it just doesn't feel in alignment with you, like there's something that feels off about it. It just doesn't resonate with you. Don't force it. Just let it go. Discard Mm -hmm. it. Not everything is meant to speak to you. But if somebody is like, no, absolutely. I hear that message and it speaks to me and that's what I'm going to do. Who am I to judge? Do it. Go for it. The moment it feels out of alignment, change. You have permission to keep adjusting how how you're going about your, your parenting experience. Conscious parenting is very broad, Melissa. It's not a prescribed set of rules that you must follow in order to be a conscious parent. I think that's what I love about it too. Conscious parenting for me could look very different than conscious parenting for you based on what we need. And I, again, just bringing these concepts home, it's about connection. It's about creating healthy boundaries, which I think is just as a mom throughout the ages and stages and seasons with our children, whether it's with our children, with our spouse, with our friendships, with commitments outside of the home. Like, I just think that's one of the most important things we can cling on to that boundaries are healthy for us and important and also important for us to role model for our children. That they can have boundaries. They can say, no, I know you do a lot of content on children when they go through the no phase and how important that is to honor that boundary of them. So, you know, I do just want, as we wrap up here, I want to ask you one more question. And then um, I do want to you know, talk about some of your workshops because you've got so many and they're so incredible and we'll make sure everyone knows where to find them. But I would love to ask you, Brianna, because you're really, you know, the expert in parenting and you're also just a very real mom. And that's what I love that you show on your platform. So what is one of the hardest things that you've had to work on or maybe are currently working on as a mom yourself? I think probably the, the biggest theme for me is feeling like 
my enough is not enough. Mm. And I can be an overdoer and not trust myself a lot of the time. So like, you know, I'm definitely a recovering perfectionist and I'm probably in line with a lot of the women who listen to this podcast and that I'd like to find a way to be 100% getting it right all the time. And I'm aware of that. And I see that in myself and I see the way that it hurts me. It hurts me the most, if I'm being honest with you, because it makes mothering so like not, it just makes it not fun for me when I'm just trying to be so good at it. Instead, like I, I try to like actively get myself more humble. I try to parent from a place of on my knees instead of on my feet. I'm on my knees. I'm being humbled in this experience. And being called out is a good thing because it, it really, it helps you to grow. And, you know, we want to, I want to grow, right? I don't want to be so stagnant in this experience. I want to grow alongside my children and I want them to, to teach me new things just as much as I'm teaching them. And so, yeah, the not enoughness is just, it's a chronic theme in my life. It's related to my childhood and it's something I'm still processing. And maybe once the kids are out of the house, I will <laughs> finally feel worthy. But, um, you know, it's just, that's the journey mm-hmm. and really loving the journey and appreciating the journey and not expecting much from it. Whatever the destination is, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. There really is no destination. We're just taking one step every day and trusting in the process. And I'm doing it alongside everybody else. You are. And you really show that. And that's so beautiful. I so get that as a not enougher. And I think it catapults us, you know, a little bit, like we become overdoers, which is why a lot of us are perhaps the ones that have platforms and, you know, do these things online. I think there's a little bit of that, not enough that I, that I like because it keeps me growing and working. And I think one of the key things you use there is your awareness of it, Mm -hmm. which that's part of the work, right? It's being aware. So then it's almost like it's, it's this thing that's not us. It's this thing that we're carrying, which makes it so much easier to understand and have compassion and empathy for ourselves. And I want to talk a little bit about some of your favorite workshops that you have currently. Um, your website will be linked on everything and everyone can find everything there. And your Instagram, I just absolutely love. Your reels are so easy to digest. So thank you for creating this. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, so depending on when this this airs on June 20th, I am doing a workshop called Parenting Strong-Willed Kids. So parents who have really strong kids, spicy kids, neurodivergent children, or children just that, that like push the boundaries and really challenge them. This workshop is for those parents. Um, and I have tons of other things in the fall. I'll be launching a community and I'm really excited about that because that's going to be um, extremely affordable and everybody will have access to all of the workshops that I've ever done, plus my quarterly workshops that I do that are topic focused as well as weekly topics and community connection with other parents that are just here showing up for themselves, showing up for their kids. And the goal is to show up for each other alongside the whole process. So I'm very excited about it. Oh, that's going to be great. You know, I think so much talk now is about finding our village and having our village. And then it's like, where's the village? (laughs) Yes, I'm building it. Conscious Mommy Community in the fall. Amazing. Well, Brianna, thank you for your time. I know you're a super busy woman. uh, So thank you for taking this time for this episode with me. I really, really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thank you, Melissa. You're welcome. 
I hope you enjoyed that interview with Brianna. I walked away with so many tips and just, you know, mostly permission to forgive myself. And I hope you did as well. It's so important that we come at our parenting with so much empathy and compassion, not only for our children, but for ourselves. As always, I would love to hear comments, feedback, and reviews from this episode. And go ahead and pass this along to anyone in your life that you know can benefit from this information. Thank you.